Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren, or sisters or father, or mother or wife, or children or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. I'd like to speak to you on the rewards of discipleship. You may be seated. I'd like to do a brief review tonight of the previous three lessons. The first message was on discipleship is relationship. I believe that the Lord always intends for us to transition from an experience-based faith to a relationship walk with Him. This call is to all. It is a call to self-denial. It is a call to submission to the cross. And the cross in the life of a believer is the test of complete obedience to the will of God. And we know that relationships matter to God So relationship and discipleship is important to Jesus Christ. Your relationship to the Lord, the one you have with yourself, how you see yourself and treat yourself is important. And then the way you interact with other people is important to God. The second message was on carrying your cross. And I carried my cross. And I made several points. The cross is inconvenient. It is your cross to bear. Welcome to Crossville. And the daily routine of a cross bearer was discussed in that message. The cross is costly, essential to salvation, requires us to reorder our priorities, requires us to count the cost, and there are no cheap crosses. I gave some practical instructions On carrying your cross. There's no cool way to do it. And you can't hide it. It is conspicuous in your life. And when you are a cross bearer. It brings perspective. And everything else in life is put in its proper place. When you carry your cross. Cross bearing uh, evaluates and controls every value in your life. And often what we are most proud of. That we have done or we have becomes a target of the cross like the rich young ruler. And we learn that the cross is not an end, but it is a means to eternal life and the crown that the Lord has for all of us. Last Wednesday, I spoke on the marks of a disciple, that discipleship is a mark of distinction that sets Jesus' disciples apart from every other person in the earth. Disciples, three things I mentioned They leave all, boats, nets, business, family, disciples, follow Jesus wherever he leads. And who you are following determines where you are going. 
you can only follow so far if you're in it for the perks. The disciples follow Jesus, sometimes to some very unusual or challenging places like a boat in the midst of a sea in the storm or stepping out of the boat to walk on water. But disciples also become like Jesus. And last week as I spoke on this point, there is a tremendous amount of faith and encouragement in the house that you can do this. Amen. We unlearn and we learn. It is part information and part association with Jesus Christ. He said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And the changes in the life of the lives of the disciples were undeniable. They uh, mirrored his character. They modeled his mission. They shared his destiny and led them to the rewards of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I want to speak tonight about the rewards of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there could be many, but I want to hit just a few. First of all, there is a reward of guidance. Life should not be a self-guided tour, right? There is a way that seems right to a man, but the way in thereof are the ways of death. And Jeremiah said that it is not in man, not in human beings to direct our own steps. We're not wired to do that. I, I reviewed a prayer of King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah when they were facing the formidable foes of the children of Ammon, Moab. And they said, Oh, our God, will you judge them? For we have no might against them, against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. They said, Lord, we can't do this on our own. We don't even know what to do right now. But we want you to know that we are looking to you and we need your help. That's how we should live every day of our lives. Amen. We can't do this on our own. We are trusting in the guidance of the Lord. Ezra prayed this prayer. They gathered themselves before the Lord and they said to seek him a right way for us. There are a lot of downsides of a self-guided tour through life. First of all, you don't know where you're going. I know you think you're going to heaven, but Jesus Christ knows the way that you should go. And your steps can be ordered of the Lord. Amen. A good guide has local knowledge, but Jesus has all knowledge. How to lead you away from pitfalls and temptations, delivering you from evil if you follow the guidance of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord also has the ability to anticipate. The Bible gives us many prophecies. It's interesting that a man named Agabus came to the Apostle Paul, took his belt and wrapped it around himself, and said, the man who owns this girdle, this belt, will be bound in Jerusalem. Now, Paul was ready to be bound and die in Jerusalem. But the Lord knew what was ahead for Paul and gave him insight, understanding, and warning. I just want to assure you that one of the great rewards and benefits 
of following Jesus is that he knows what is down the road in your life. Tomorrow, a week, a year, a decade to the very last day of your life. Jesus knows the way and he shows the way. He is an incredible guide for life. He's experienced everything we would ever go through in the days of his flesh. Tempted in all points like as us without sin. That is the way Jesus is. Now in my personality, and if you are a male, and probably even if you're just a human being, male or female, but us males get blamed a lot for not asking for directions. We don't need to ask for directions because we will figure it out. It might cost a few hours, a couple tanks of gas, but you just give us time, we will find the way. That's just, we just will do that. What a foolish way to live. (laughs) All the women are saying, amen. We know you got back at us. Siri's voice starts off being a ladies, you know. All the maps. It's a ladies' voice telling us what to do and where to go unless you change it. There's a conspiracy afoot. Why would you want to go through life trying to fake it till you make it? Wasting time and energy, ruining relationships, making mistakes. When the Lord has given us a guidebook for life, an owner's manual for how to get from here to heaven. Amen. I am thankful that when I follow Jesus Christ, there's the reward of being guided by him through life to heaven. And you can't beat that offer of discipleship. Amen. We're guaranteed that. That his destination becomes our destination. The writer of Hebrews speaks about the forerunner Jesus Christ who has gone beyond the veil, entered therein. It is a word picture of a small boat. The anchor of a ship would be placed in the boat. It would be rowed through the passage into a harbor and anchored there. And then the ship could be pulled through that passage into safe harbor. Jesus Christ has gone before us. He's already entered, Hebrews says, beyond the veil. He's already there waiting for us, and he will guide you if you will follow him. He promised he would never leave us and never forsake us. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He told the disciples, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age or the world. And I love what the Lord told his people in Isaiah 46 3. He said, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been created from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and even to the gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. That is a promise that from the cradle to the grave, if you will follow Jesus, you will have the reward of an eternal 
destination. Amen. I'm glad for the guidance that the Lord gives us for following Him. That is a reward of discipleship. The second aspect I want to mention is the joy that comes to us along the journey. Now, we all know that life can be difficult and more difficult for some than others. And there are brothers and sisters around the world now and throughout the history of the ages, the people of faith who have suffered for the name of the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For them, the gospel may come at great cost. The Apostle Paul addressed one such group of people in the book of Thessalonians, the city of Thessalonica, Greece. They were people that had received the word of God in great affliction. They came to Jesus Christ, obeyed the gospel in a time of great persecution. The word affliction would imply that this affliction came from without. It wasn't a thorn in the flesh, not a sickness, but it was external persecution against them serving Jesus Christ. And in our lives, following the Lord is not always easy. I've spoken plenty in the last few weeks about the cost of discipleship. You may be misunderstood or maligned. It may be possible that you are martyred for the name of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see what Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now, you may think that, that there was a mistake there, that affliction and joy shouldn't be in the same sentence or in the same verse. But Paul said in verse 7, so that you were in samples to all the believe in the province of Macedonia and Achaia. I have found that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is fuel for the journey of life. It comes from inside of you and not from external circumstances. The Apostle Peter kind of echoed the, the sentiments of Paul when he spoke of us being kept by the power of God unto salvation. Though he said, if need be for a season, you're in heaviness through manifold, uh, uh, manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the screens, verse 8. Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable, unexpressible, unexplainable, and full of glory. Verse 9. Receiving the end or the result of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So a reward of discipleship is along this journey of life, through hills and valleys, through struggles and troubles, there is a joy that comes from within us, from knowing Jesus and following Him. 
and it transcends circumstances. It is not dependent on what is going on in your life. It is joy that is unspeakable. It is affliction with joy. They come together, but it keeps us through life, and it is a benefit, a reward of following Jesus Christ. Now, how can you cry and laugh at the same time? Does it make sense to a person who is not following Jesus? But while there are circumstances that bring tears of sorrow to our eyes, there is a joy of knowing that our name is written in heaven, that the Lord is guiding us, he's going to get us there, that brings unspeakable joy in our lives. Amen. I thank God that it is joy, inexpressible joy, unspeakable. There is a reward, I believe, that comes to people who follow him that is just a reward of obedience. Amen. Now I'm going to go down a, a road of thinking here for a few minutes about discipleship rather than to draw a conclusion or prove a point, but to stir up, as the Bible said, you in your pure mind to think about this. We know from the Word of God that obedience is better than sacrifice. You can pray and fast and do wrong at the same time. The Lord said, I want you to obey me. That is what the Lord said to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In the book of Micah, Micah asked the question, How shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Most High God? He said, Should I come with you know, burnt offerings and calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Mike is posing this question, what can I do to please God? And then he answers this question in Micah 6.8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. In other words, if you want to break that down or paraphrase, do what is right, be merciful to other people, walk humbly with God, that is what the Lord desires out of us. He gets no glory out of taking us to the woodshed, putting us through a trial. It is for our faith. It is for our good. But obedience is always better than sacrifice. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us that chastening is never fun, but it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It, when you're exercised thereby, it's an illusion of getting a spanking, okay? When you've been exercised by that, it produces something in you. It's called obedience, but if you obey, you don't ever have to get that spanking. Now, none of us, believe me, at least no one I know, not, not myself, not you, none of us have ever 
live such a, an obedient life that the Lord has never had to speak to us or chasten us. There have been some times when it was a full body slam on me. He really needed to get my attention, and they are memorable in my life. So I'm not saying that, that I live up to this or that you do, but I, wanna, I want to talk about a principle of obedience that if you obey, the Lord doesn't have to chasten out of you rebellion and disobedience because you choose to do what is right without having to go to the school of hard knocks where the school colors, you know, are black and blue from the bruises that you get in the school of hard knocks. Now let me take you to the Gospels. Jesus spoke much of taking up your cross and following Him. And Peter and the other disciples as well made some bold claims about following Jesus no matter what. Mark chapter 14, you know, Peter says he will and Jesus says you're going to deny me. And the apostle Peter speaks vehemently and he tells Jesus, if I should die with you, I will not deny you. I won't do it in any wise. And the Bible says the other disciples chimed in. They said the same thing. And then there is a conversation in John 13 between Simon Peter and Jesus. And the Lord is going to speak about how Peter will die. Simon Peter asked the Lord, where are you going And Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't go now. You can't follow me now. But there will come a time when you will follow me. You'll follow me afterwards. And Peter said, Lord, why why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? You know, like, look me in the eye. Do you really mean that? Verily, verily, I say unto you that the rooster won't crow till you've denied me three times. Now, I believe that Simon Peter was very sincere in what he said. He's talking to Jesus. I don't think he was intentionally lying. I think he meant that he would not yield to temptation. He would not deny the Lord, that he would uphold his faith. I believe he was sincere. But he didn't really know himself, did he? And Jesus did. He didn't know his vulnerability to temptation in that hour. Now, a lot of people followed Jesus. Multitudes followed him. He had 70 that followed him, and he sent them out to preach and perform miracles. There are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Their names will be on the 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem, minus Judas Add one more. Then, you know, the the multitudes, the 70, the 12, and then there were three. Remember the three? Peter, James, John. They get to go with Jesus up to the mountain of transfiguration. He beckons them to go with him farther, deeper into the garden of Gethsemane to pray. They are the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And then there was this one disciple whose name was John. John, not John's, 
I wish John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loves everybody, right? God so loved the world. He loved Lazarus who died and was raised from the dead. But we've got this insight that Jesus loved John and John Zebedee, the brother of James, James and John, sons of thunder. Jesus, there was something about John that made him very special. So I think you could justify saying the multitudes, the 70, the 12, the 3, and there is John. There's John. Closest person, I believe, to Jesus on this earth. John 13 tells us that at the Last Supper, when the disciples are all seated there, and you may remember when they came in the room, no one would wash one another's feet. There's a dispute among them who would be the greatest. James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, When you come to my kingdom, I would like for one of my boys to sit on your left hand, one to sit on the right. Jesus said, It's not mine to give. Are you willing to suffer like me? You know, be baptized with the baptism. But now we're in the upper room, and Jesus is talking. His spirit is troubled. And Jesus says to the twelve, One of you will betray me. And they started looking around the room at one another, wondering, the Bible says, doubting of whom he spake. And you can see that he just made 12 suspects. You know, like if I told you that someone in this sanctuary tonight, now what if I said someone watching online tonight, because we don't know who that is. But if I said someone in this sanctuary is going to walk away from Jesus tomorrow, you know you would be wondering, hmm, I think I know who it may be. Well, there was one disciple that was right next to Jesus. He was leaning kind of on his chest. And Simon Peter got his attention. This man's name was John. That meant that John was closer to Jesus in this setting. I'm not trying to make a spiritual application. He's closer to Jesus than Simon Peter. So let's say Jesus is here and maybe John and then Simon Peter. You know, he's one of the inner circle. He leans over to John and says, ask Jesus who it is. You're closer to him than me. Always. You've got his ear, and I don't know if he will tell me, because I'm not close enough to find out, but I think he'll tell you, why don't you ask him? That's what happens when we go to people in the church that we feel are close to God and say, I need you to pray for me. Nothing wrong with that. Because you just think they'll listen, that God will listen to them more than you. You know what you're thinking. I know we need all the prayer we can get, you know. But Peter says to John, ask Jesus who the betrayer is. I think he'll tell you. And John does. In John 13, 25, he leans over against Jesus. And I think it's very quiet. Who is it? And Jesus says... To John only, watch this, because this is their custom. 
there's meat, and there's a bowl. We would call it gravy or all Jew. And Jesus is going to take this lamb, wrap it in bread. He's going to dip it into the sop, this gravy, this sauce. Hope you had dinner before you came to church. And he's going to hand it to the favored guest. So Jesus wraps the lamb with the bread, dips it in the sauce, and he hands it to Judas, Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And no one knows what that means but one person in the room, right? Only one person knows. Well, Jesus. But besides Jesus, only one person knows, and that is John. Now, we don't know that he didn't lean over to Simon Peter, you know, and say, I'm not telling. We don't know what really happened. So we know Judas went out, you know, and betrayed him. And then when when the word of the resurrection came to Peter and John, John chapter 20, Simon Peter and John are running together to the tomb. And it is John in his own book who tells us that he was faster than Simon Peter. He does. He tells us that the other disciple, he doesn't name himself. He's got that modesty about him. The other disciple whom Jesus loved, hint, hint, outran him and came to the sepulcher first. He didn't go inside and Peter did. So I just want to show you a little bit of an interesting proximity to Jesus. The Old Testament says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will ever show them his covenant. Remember when the Lord is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And he says, shall I hide the thing that I'm doing from Abraham? For I know Abraham. He'll command his children after me. So he sends messengers to Abraham because there's some people God tells secrets to. They've got the inside track. They're close to him. It's not arbitrary. It's by relationship. John is the disciple Jesus loved. And there were 11 other jealous men because of that, I believe. And they were all jockeying for position. And there was some infighting even to the very last hour. Right? And then Jesus is arrested in the garden and they all forsake him and flee away. But then at the cross, as best we know, there's only one of the 12 at the cross. And the reason we know this is that in John chapter 19, we have a list of the women who were there. And then Jesus looks down from the cross and he sees his mother there. And he says to the disciple who is standing there, whom he loved, hint, hint, John, He says to his mother, woman, behold thy son. He says to the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. If you were about to die, you're going to leave your mother behind. Kind of history would say that Joseph had 
passed away before this time. He kind of disappears from the scriptures. The father, you know, the stepfather of Jesus. And Jesus places his mother into the hands of the disciple that he loved, John. Pretty close to Jesus. Death, burial, resurrection. Jesus appears to his disciples, but he appears to them on the Sea of Galilee. He is on the shore with a fire of coals, cooking fish. The disciples are in the boat. Jesus asked them if they caught anything. And I'll just simplify the story that Simon Peter jumps into the water. He swims about a hundred yards to where Jesus is. And in a private conversation where Simon Peter had denied Jesus three times, three times Jesus says, Do you love me more than these? And Simon Peter, somewhat frustrated, answers Jesus, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus would say. After that little discussion is over, Jesus begins to talk to Peter. And he repeats something he has said earlier in more detail. He said, Simon Peter, when you were young, you put on your own clothes and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you're going to stretch forth your hand. What does that remind you of? You're going to stretch forth your hands. And another will gird you. And they will take you a place you don't want to go. John 21, 19 tells us that this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had said that to Simon Peter, Jesus said, follow me. Now, Simon Peter has just heard that he is going to be martyred. Tradition, history would say that he told his murderers that he was not worthy to die like his Lord and requested to be crucified upside down. I preach the Bible, but that's kind of commonly discussed. But then Simon Peter does what all of us would be tempted to do. Because standing there now are the other disciples and there's that guy. It's his friend It's the disciple that Jesus loved. His name is John. And Peter turned to Jesus and said, Lord, what about John? What shall this man do? John 21, 22 on the screens. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry, Till I come again, what is that to thee? What is that to you? You follow me. Now, I could preach a whole message and have before. You know, what about John? Many people live their lives. Want to know what Jesus is going to do with John. And Jesus just says, follow me. Don't worry about John. Or Mary or Suze, don't worry about anybody else. I've got a plan for your life. You follow me. Okay? Now, 
That started a little rumor because the next verse says, there went a saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. They said, well, I guess John's never going to die. Must pay to be close to Jesus. But John in his own writings, this is his book, a book he wrote about the Lord. But Jesus didn't say that. He just said, what if I will? What if I want to? What business is that of yours? That's basically what he said. None of your business. You follow me. Now, history would indicate that John is the only disciple to not die a martyr's death. He would be exiled to the island of Patmos. We don't have any explanation of what happened to many of the disciples. We only have the prophecy of how Peter died. We know that how James, the brother of John, died in the book of Acts chapter 12. But we just have this general knowledge that John just lives and lives. He lives to write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation. He is a disciple whom Jesus loved. So I told you I just want to give you something to think about. I don't think that I can draw a conclusion or make a doctrinal statement. But I do believe, personally, and this is my opinion, I don't preach opinions, but I've given you a lot of scripture to think about this, that it does matter how close you decide to get to Jesus and how things go in your life. Now, Jesus was perfect and he was crucified. Be careful, right? Be careful. But if you're always bucking against the Lord, if you're always rebelling against his will, the Bible said the way of the transgressor is hard and the wages of sin is death and there are consequences to disobedience. And if you deny the Lord, the least thing, you're going to have a conversation, a confrontation where he's going to call you in on the carpet and say, do you love me more than these? You've got to get that straight, Simon Peter. And I'm not saying he died a martyr's death beside because of that. I'm just saying that things went a little different for John. If you go all the way to the cross, maybe you're spared one. I see people who want to live on the edge and in the kingdom of self and yet call themselves a Christian. What I'm really trying to establish in this particular part of my message that proximity has its privileges. That proximity to Jesus brings a different kind of life for you. That if you decide to be his disciple and walk as closely to him as you can, that looks a lot different than the stray and the maverick and the person who's just determined to just do enough to be saved. There are rewards of that. And then... There is another conversation with the Apostle Peter. That's a really good conversation. It comes in the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke also discuss it. The three parallel epistles, the synoptics. The Apostle Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 19.27. He says, behold, we have forsaken all. And follow thee, what shall we have therefore? 
what's in it for us? I mean, is it all about crosses and death and dying? And Is that what this is all about, is giving everything up? Now, to make sense of this, you really need to go back. You know, every text has a context, a setting. So if you back up a little bit, you find that the story is what we would call the story of the rich young ruler. Comes to Jesus, wants to know how he can have eternal life. There's a discussion about keeping the commandments. And Jesus names him and he says, I've obeyed them from my youth up. And Jesus says, okay, good deal. Let me tell you, you just lack one thing. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Remember the thing that you're most proud of, that you have or are, is often the target of Jesus and the cross. If it's more important to you than Jesus, you have another God before him. That's where we ended last week. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So this rich young ruler goes away sorrowfully. He has great possessions. And the disciples are like puzzled by this. Because in Judaism, if you had favor with God, you had money. In fact, they thought that money was such a sign of blessing that they tried to get rich to, to appear blessed. That was, the, that was kind of true among them. Remember, Jesus said they love to stand on the street corners and announce what they're giving to be seen of men. You know, that's how they were. And the disciples are thinking, I thought it was great to be rich, and how come you're saying this rich guy can't go to heaven? And Jesus said that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, when they heard it, they were amazed and they said, Oh, who can be saved? I guess no one's going. And Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I don't want to get too deep into what Jesus could have said about the love of money is the root of all evil. Not Jesus didn't say that, but the Bible, the love of money is the root of all evil and you serve God or mammon. But now that's the setting of this. And Simon Peter then says to the Lord, well, I guess we qualify because we gave it all up to follow you. That's the setting. Matthew 19, 27. But then, since we did that, what does it mean? What do we get? What are we going to receive for that? Now, Peter given up a successful business, a fishing business. The disciples had given up a lot to follow Jesus. And Jesus is talking always about dying and everything's looking a little gloomy right now. But I want to make it very clear that when Simon Peter said, we've given everything up, is there a reward for this? Does, does, is, this is this for nothing or, or is this for something? What, what shall we have? And Jesus did not rebuke him, but he answered him. And this is the core Passage of the Rewards of Discipleship, Matthew 
19.28 Verily I say unto you that you which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of glory you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Paul's right there and let me just say that I do not believe that verse is for everybody. There's 12 thrones for 12 apostles of the Lamb to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. That verse was for the 12 apostles of the Lamb. But then verse 29, Jesus said, And everyone, everyone in 2016, that hath forsaken houses or brothers, or sisters or father or mother, or wife or children or lands, for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. In the book of Luke 18, 28 through 30, I want to read it from Luke. Then Peter said, Lo, we've left all to follow thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children or for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time. The reason I'm reading from Luke is to spotlight this present time. Matthew says a hundredfold more Luke says manifold more, but he clarifies this hundredfold more is not then, it is in this life. In other places, he said, you're going to receive in this life houses, fathers, lands, sisters, brothers. Your family is going to grow. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you have it more abundantly. When you give up everything to follow him, it pays in this life. It pays in the life to come. Amen. You may take a vow of poverty. You may be poor, as they used to say, as Job's turkey all your life. But don't believe that following Jesus Christ never means you'll have anything. Jesus said, you follow me, you'll have manifold more in this life. Now, I'm not trying to preach a prosperity doctrine, but I am trying to preach the Bible that Jesus said, you've never given up anything to follow me that you will ever lose in this life or in the life to come. Amen. You're not just giving up to give it up to give it up. You're giving up to follow me because if you will follow me, I will make you, I will bless you. They are the rewards of discipleship. Please stand. When Mark describes this, Mark says that you'll receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. But he adds, with persecutions. There's always going to be that side of living for me. Blessed, joy, and afflictions. Now that's what we will be. The Apostle Paul made a statement that I think is fitting in this idea of what God has in store for people who love him. Paul said, and this proves that he was a southerner, for I reckon, for I reckon 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. None of us have ever given up anything, anything that God will not reward and replace. That's His promise, not mine. And I was thinking about how it will be in the very end. Revelation 17, 14 speaks of a time when the enemies of God will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Through difficulty, through sacrifice, you hang in there. For discipleship has its rewards. And ultimately the reward of heaven and eternity. And being part of God's great army of called, chosen, and faithful people. Would you pray right now? I want us to pray before we even come to the altar. Lord, I open my heart to you tonight. For Satan would try to rob us of the promises of blessings in our lives. And many of us, Lord, feel unworthy to be blessed. For who are we to deserve the goodness of God? But you called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Lord, we were not a people, but you made us your people. We've watched through the ages, Lord, how the power of the gospel is a lifting force that it can take a man or woman out of the gutter of sin. It will strengthen and establish and settle them. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us promises that we can be like you. And if we follow you, Lord, you will bless us in this life and in the one to come with everlasting life. I give you thanks for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, can we all lift our hearts to the Lord with our hands and bless the Lord. Give Him praise. That he has called us to be his people. Hallelujah.